thinking sideways. I don't understand. Does not compute. You never know. What? Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Thinking Sideways. I am Joe, joined as always by... Devin. And... Steve. And we're going to be talking this week about another groovy mystery. Groovy? Yeah. It's a really groovy mystery. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's just it's fun because it's got like, uh, it's got a whole trail of bodies and stuff. You know? There's a lot of things going on. And yeah. bank A lot robbing. of moving parts. Yeah, there's all Great. kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're going to be talking about God's Banker, a.k.a. Roberto Calvi. Groovy. Mm. Before I go any further, I want to stop and thank Emily for suggesting this uh, particular mystery. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. It's very convoluted. And, uh, <laughs> it's you, right up your alley. Would, yeah. yeah, would you guys not agree that this is a twisted mystery? It's a little yeah. intrigue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Caldi, Roberto Caldi, was uh, found dead on the morning of June 18th, 1982 in the city of London, England. He was uh, hanging from scaffolding underneath Blackfriars Bridge, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Mm. Yeah, right. I did check it out on Street View. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Weird. It's, it's a cool old bridge, actually. Uh, but anyway, the bridge was undergoing some renovations, and that's why there's scaffolding uh, surrounding it. And uh, he apparently uh, climbed out onto the scaffolding and tied a rope to it, and the other end ran around his neck and jumped into the water. Um, so it was not high enough for him to actually dangle in the air. Because the tide was in. The tide was in. The water was high. He was dressed in a suit and tie. At the time they found him, his feet were still dangling in the Thames, but the tide had gone out quite a bit, and so originally he probably would have been in up to his waist, if not a little higher. Uh, they found bricks and pieces of masonry stuffed into his jacket, his suit jacket pockets, and down his pants. He had on him an Italian passport. Uh, did, I, did I mention that Roberto Calvi was Italian? No, no yeah, but it makes sense. Yeah, he's uh, actually a, a banker from Milan, city of Milan. Oh, and by the way, he's called God's Banker because he did a lot of dealings with the Vatican. But I'll talk more about that in a Yeah, minute. I know we're yeah. going to go into that a lot. Yeah. Uh, they, so they found a, an Italian passport, which identified him as Gian Roberto Calvino. Of course, that was a fake. Mm-hmm. He'd been traveling under, like, with three different passports. I think they were all fake, actually, because I think the Italian government had, had confiscated his passport. Mm-hmm. I would imagine so. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, also found in the body was about $14,000 in British, uh, Swiss, and Italian currency. Mm-hmm. And a Patek Philippe watch, uh, which by one account was worth around in the neighborhood of 100000 bucks. He was obviously a pretty well-off guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, the uh, the uh, watch had stopped running because he went in the, when he went into the water, mm. it immersed. But that gave him a, a clue as to when the hanging actually took place, which was one fifty-two in the morning. Oh. But anyway, we can rule out robbery and murder. That's um, what this was. Well, we can rule out robbery or murder for robbery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? yeah, that's true. But yeah, that you anyway, can't just yeah. It wasn't murder motivated by robbery. Right. Yeah. They found his luggage back in the hotel where he was staying, all packed up and ready to go. The police did a two-day investigation, and there was an autopsy, of course, also. Uh, the coroner ruled that he had died of asphyxiation uh, because when he hung himself, he obviously, usually when you hang yourself, you drop far enough, fast enough that you break your neck. Mm-hmm. That's but, the preferred yeah, yeah, outcome, yes. Yeah, but... Uh, the, uh, the coroner also ruled that the death was a suicide. The autopsy didn't find any suspicious marks on the body, no drugs in his system, no punctures. And his watch, as I said, it stopped at 1.52 mm-hmm. in the morning. 
The motive for the suicide, I was, I'm assuming that they were assuming, was that he had just been sentenced to four years in prison in Italy, because his and also his bank, the Banco Ambrosiano, had just collapsed because they had a whole lot of uh, missing money, like about 1.2 billion dollars worth. And we're going to explain yeah. this a little more yeah, in a couple yeah. of minutes, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just making sure we weren't glossing oh, yeah. over that part. Yeah, that bank collapsed. The Vatican Bank was missing about half a billion dollars. Uh, and so he had a lot of explaining to do. Yeah. And he was obviously under a tremendous amount of pressure. And also he had attempted suicide uh, the previous year while he was in jail by cutting his wrists and taking mm. barbiturates. So Obviously that didn't work. How do you get barbiturates yeah. in jail? Um, I, I hear it's easy, actually. Really? Yeah. I've heard, I've heard in jail you can get, especially if you're a rich guy like him, you can get anything you want. Good point. A lot of people, including his family, didn't believe he killed himself. And eventually the verdict almost a year later was reversed to we don't know. So it could have been suicide. It could have been murder. Oh, it was yeah. downgraded. It was upgraded to a shrug. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what's strange about the whole thing is to get to the scaffolding where he hung himself, he would have had to climb over the railing and down a... Uh, down a ladder, which was attached to the seawall, and then step across about a two and a half foot gap to the scaffolding, and then walk across the scaffolding to a certain point where it went down to a lower level of scaffolding, and then shinny down, tie the rope, and then hang himself. So, All this while having bricks and stuff in his pockets? Yeah, yeah, and stuff down his pants and stuff. And did I mention he was 62 years old? No. When he no. died? Yeah, he was 62. Uh, Which is ancient. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it's not that bad, but it's still... He was not in great he, Yeah, he wasn't condition. a spry young man. No, he wasn't. Was he out there doing parkour or something? No, not... Yeah. And that was, that was odd. There were no signs of this in his body. His hands should have had, like... And the, the scaffolding was kind of rusty. It uh -huh. should have had... So his hands should have had some abrasions and some rust like yeah. on and stuff. And, and maybe shoes. Did, his, did he have his shoes on? Yeah, he was wearing his shoes. Mm. Yeah. And they didn't have any... Although I guess the shoes, it doesn't bother me as much since they would have been submerged in water. So mm -hmm. that stuff could have washed away. And it could have... If the water was high enough for his hands, it could have washed it off the hands. I was just Possibly. thinking the same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's possible. But, but that's quite, I mean... But actually, but actually, we'll be talking about that more a little later on. Sure. Yeah. I was just going to say it's quite a commitment to killing yourself in that very spot, in that very way. It seems like there would be easier ways to do it. Uh -huh. Even easier. hanging off uh -huh. of a bridge in London, it seems like there'd be a lot better places to do it than that. It really does. Yeah. Sorry. A lot. No, you're right. I'm jumping ahead. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back in time a week. He left Italy just the week before. Uh, he'd been sentenced to four years in stir for violating currency laws. And actually, what uh, what they arrested him for and put him on trial for was patently unfair because he had done some currency, some not currency manipulation, but some currency transactions, some foreign currency transactions back in 1971. And the transactions were perfectly legal. But in 1976, the Italian parliament passed a retroactive law making mm. it illegal. In 1981, he was arrested for for breaking a law that didn't even exist in 1971. That's hard. That's, yeah, it's BS. That's hinky. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so his case was under appeal. Uh, he was out on bail. Uh, of course, at this time, his, it, it hadn't completely come out when he left the country that Banco Ambrosiano was in as serious trouble as it was and had so many missing funds and bad debts. And But he was aware of it, of course. Of course. So, yeah, that's another good reason to skip the country. Yeah. Yeah, so he decided to, he decided to skip out, skip town. And uh, the day he left, his assistant saw him filling a black attache case with documents from his office safe. 
And that, that, that same assistant uh, died on the day that the bank was taken over by the Bank of Italy. Yeah, she threw herself out a window, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Or was pushed. Or, yeah. Or, well, I, thought, yeah. I thought she left a note. Yeah, she did leave a note. Yeah. That was, that was a an little angry bit scathing. Note. About Caldi, yes. Yeah, he did. She did. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure I had that part right. Yeah, written in red ink. <laughs> I, I don't know if that signified anything or not. Hmm. When, so when he left Italy, he had the aid of a, a guy named Flavio Carboni, who's a Sardinian businessman who apparently was very well connected. So Caldi flew to Venice from Milan, then traveled by car to Trieste, Italy, which is over by the border with Yugoslavia. Uh, he was then smuggled into Yugoslavia by, by a boat and then traveled by car all the way up to Austria. And then from Austria, he flew to London on a private jet. And so pretty, it was a pretty elaborate thing that lasted mm-hmm. for you know, several days and yeah. a lot of different modes of transport. I, I uh, have a quick question. Yeah. I never saw this anywhere. Maybe nobody knows. Do we know what his intended final destination was? I mean, no. he couldn't have just intended to keep moving every couple of days forever. He had to have somewhere he was going. Mm-hmm. One would assume yeah. someplace without an extradition deal with Italy. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, right. that would that would make the most sense. Which yeah, I the, imagine is nowhere in Europe. Yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. The, I, I think the only people that, that maybe would have known would be uh, Flavio Corboni, who's the guy who made, basically made all the arrangements. Uh, and also, uh, Carboni also hired a cigarette smuggler named Silvano Vittor, to be Calvi's bodyguard. So Vidor might have also known what the ultimate destination was. Well, but these like, guys aren't talking. They're still alive, but they're, they're not talking. I guess it could have been, you know, if you have a fake passport, you essentially have a new identity. If you can get to a place that's kind of bigger, like London, mm-hmm. it's not the worst place to try and disappear, although it is the most monitored place. But yeah, it kind of is. But there's yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But this was uh, in 81. Yeah, uh, it was 82. 82. Yeah. Wasn't nearly as monitored in 82. It's true, they didn't as, have cameras up on true. every corner. And, and London was kind of a dirty little town at that time. Yeah, true. Not the financial hub that it is today. Mm. Yeah, in, so in London, Calvi and Vitor checked into a residential hotel called the Chelsea Cloisters. Um, of course, I looked at it on the street view. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, um, Carboni checked into, a, I believe, the Sheraton or the Hilton, some more, much more luxurious hotel. And I'll, oh, I forgot to mention, too, that at the beginning of this little adventure, Calvi had transferred a large amount of money into Carboni's Swiss account to cover his expenses because there was a lot involved. You know, he right. had to pay pay people to smuggle him, mm-hmm. pay people to drive him, and, you know, bribe officials. It's not a cheap affair. Hire a private jet. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think the amount was around $11 million. Oh, my goodness. Whoa! Yeah, a decent amount of money, yeah. That's a lot of money even today. Oh, yeah. They were throwing That's around... That's back when uh, um, being a millionaire meant something, I too. Know, so. I know, I know. If I was a millionaire tomorrow, I still wouldn't quit my day job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. So they were in London for uh, just not very long at all, really. Uh, but on, this, on June 17th, about 5 p.m., uh, Carboni phoned Calvi and told him that he'd found a flat for him to stay in and they should pack his bags. Uh, strangely, Carboni went by the hotel later and met Vitter at the front desk, but didn't go up to see Calvi at that time. I don't know why. Next, next that Calvi was seen was about 10 p.m. when a resident of the hotel saw him leaving at the back by the back door. So did I say 10 p.m.? Yeah, 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, with quote two Italian men, but he didn't identify them. What I can't understand yeah. is why, if you're the bodyguard, mm-hmm. you're not staying in the same place. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's really hard to protect well, somebody at it yeah. from. Oh well, no, the vitter, the, the bodyguard, was staying at the same place. Okay. Carboni was staying at a different hotel. Oh, now, okay. Sorry, got, I got, I totally got, got the confused. two mixed up. Yeah. 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 So okay. Flavio, yeah. Easy to yeah. do. Yeah. 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 This is a confusing little mystery. Well, yeah. 
It seems likely that the two men were Carboni and Vitter, but uh, we're not sure. Can't be totally sure. Uh, Vitter late, later told the police that he had left the hotel at 7 p.m. to meet Carboni, and then he returned at 8 or 1 a.m., and Calvi was gone. Mm. That's what he told the police. I'm not sure he should be believed, but it may be, it may be true. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, so at this point, let me digress a little bit. Of course, we know what happened after the, after that. He died. Somewhere. He at some yeah. point. Yeah. So, I'll th- so I guess we need to talk a little bit about how he kind of um, got involved with all this high-level financial stuff. How he became God's banker. He became God's banker. And then God knows all, how many things he was involved in, but he apparently got involved with some kind of dangerous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about how he got involved in the Vatican's finances, just real fast like here. Um, and I sure, I'm sure you all know this already, but in the 19th century, the Vatican's properties were all confiscated by the government of Italy. Yeah, you knew that, right? Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I this left the church with very little in the way of income, um, but they did get some compensation from Benito Mussolini in 1929. He gave them some, I think, uh, some government bonds and a bunch of cash. Is that the Mussolini? The very one. Got it. That we all know and love from yeah. World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the very one. Uh, at the Pope, the Pope at the time was Pius the Twelfth, uh, and so he started investing some of those funds. Um, and uh, what they did is that they took note of the fact that their agreement now with the state of Italy made them basically a sovereign state. So to take advantage of that, they hired a banker named Bernardino Nogara, who was supposed to invest their money and basically use it to do a bunch of arbitrage operations. Uh, to make money, you know, arbitrage is when you when you trade. It's like it's like trading gold and silver and stuff, but you're trading money instead. So, like, say right now, the Canadian dollar is weak. So, if I buy up a, a bunch of Canadian money and then set on wait for wait for the Canadian dollar to get stronger, then I sell my Canadian dollars again. I've just I've just netted myself a profit. And okay, I'm sure we have some financial experts out there. Who, well, I, I, I know what you're talking about, but I, I, ha- yeah. I hadn't been able to connect that that term i don't think i've ever heard it used before mm-hmm. so he's trading yeah. money yeah uh, world war ii the vatican of course was surrounded by you know, hostile fascists on all sides you know not to mention there were some other there's all kinds of stuff going on and they're worried about the the safety uh, of their money so pius the 12th ordered the creation of a private bank within the vatican and this was called to be called the institute for religious works and the irw yeah yeah in, in, in italian it's ior Oh, it's spelled, but but I R W in English. Got it. So yeah. we'll call it what it is in Italian then. Yeah, the I O R. Yeah, uh, a priest named Giovanni Montini was put in charge of it, uh, of the bank that is, and he oversaw its operations until 1963 when he became Pope Paul the Sixth. Hmm. So yeah, the Vatican's banker became the Pope. Was huh. he the Pope that only lasted 33 days? No, that was no. John Paul. Okay. Yeah, John Paul. When he, when I, Paul, I have a hard time keeping the Pope straight for some reason. Well, and you mm-hmm. know, Paul, John Paul. Paul, John Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ringo. Yeah. No. And uh, that hasn't been one of those yet. Yeah, actually, yet. Yeah. The the uh, actually the death of John Paul is subject. There's a lot of conspiracy theories about that. It'd of course, it'd be pretty good. Yeah. yeah, we should do that sometime. Yeah, we should do that. No, we don't want, we don't want to do too many Vatican stories though. So. Not too many yeah. in Rome. Anyway. Yeah, we've done a bunch of them. We got plenty of time to get to them. Yeah, yeah. So the Vatican Bank was doing all right, but then a new Italian law was passed that required foreign investors to pay a 30% tax on dividends. Ooh, that's a hefty tax. Yeah, yeah. So the bank decided it was it would be a good idea to transfer most of its investments to overseas companies. They, I, I mean, you know, the Vatican's its own country, isn't mm-hmm. it? So yeah, but they were considered. But but if you have um, part of Italy. But if you have investments that are paying dividends and the companies aren't located actually like 
in the Vatican. Oh. Yeah. Which none of them are. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they were, I'm guessing they were rather heavily investing in Italian businesses. I, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what kind of things. It wasn't, it wasn't strictly Italian, no. But I'm, I'm no. just thinking that must have been what forced them to decide to shift is, wait, this is coming through, and we have a lot of money in the country mm-hmm. that we're getting returns on. Yeah, and that we're going to gonna sell, yeah. So, we're gonna so they moved money. it to Panama and where? Sorry. Oh, miscellaneous places. They, mm. Panama, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg. Mm. Um, all those places. I heard, yeah, Nicaragua, Peru, mm-hmm. all kinds of places, yeah. Uh, at, so what they needed was they needed a, a bank that could set up anonymous accounts and offshore companies for them and then transfer their assets for them. And they hired a small private bank called Banca Privita Financiata, I think. <laughs> Yeah, close enough. It was run by a guy named Michelle Sindona, and who, by the way, knew Roberto Calvi, God's banker, uh, and he had actually mentored Calvi in the art of creating offshore companies. Hmm. And the relationship between Sindona and the Vatican Bank went well for a while, but eventually he had a banking empire that was in, I think it was Italy and Switzerland. He that had a lot sounds of banks. correct. He had a lot of banks. And, uh, but eventually he came under uh, criminal investigation for a number of different matters, and so the Vatican decided that he was a bit of a liability. That's fair. And they also didn't, if the police were, were investigators were snooping around the bank's records, they didn't really want to have their private dealings known. Also So fair. another reason to, to ditch this guy. And so they uh, looking for a replacement. Uh, Paul Marcinkus, who's kind of a player in this, he was a priest from America, and he was put in charge of uh, finding that replacement, who turned out to be the Banco Ambrosiano in Milan. It had already, it already had connections. It, it had been founded by priests, and some of the previous chairmen had known some of the previous popes mm. and such things. So, so, so they th- were closely th- knit bunch. Yeah, yeah, they were already. It was a natural pairing. They were, yeah, yeah, and also the Vatican already owned some of its stock. Oh, yeah. Chairman at the time was Carlo Canisi, and the general manager manager was Roberto Calvi. A secret arrangement was made for the Vatican to buy more stock in the bank so that they could have actually a controlling interest in the stock. Oh, yeah, in, in the, the bank. In the bank, I mean, mm. yeah. Yeah. And then once they had controlling stock, they could put whoever they wanted in charge, I'm guessing. Yeah, or at least you know, have some say over their, you know, the bank's operations. But yeah. that would make yeah. sense, especially yeah. if you're going to invest heavily. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I'm really suspicious. I'm really kind of actually like really glossing over a lot of stuff. It oh, gets yeah. a lot more complicated than this, the, the stuff that these guys were doing. Well, they, yeah. I know one of the things that they were doing that I, I found fascinating and so despicable, um, and I don't remember exactly who it was because again there is so many players was the false deposits did either of you guys read about those Mm. where they were they were reporting false deposits into accounts and so that they would get the funds from that bank they'd say oh so and so at this was depositing money now we've got more and it was this weird shuffle of non-existent cash Mm -hmm. that then showed up on the books but they never actually had that cash to begin with yeah. So then they had more money to spend. It was. It's almost like the guy you see on the street with the three solo cups with the ball under one of them. But he's like, which one is it really under? Which one is it really yeah. under? They're just moving it around constantly. That's what it was with huge sums of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were playing all kinds of crazy games. Um, yeah, it came, to, it came back to bite them on the... Yeah, it, did. On the, yeah, <laughs> it really yeah. blew up in their face. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of did. Uh, uh, so Calvi, Roberto Calvi created a bank subsidiary in the Bahamas and set up a bunch of anonymous holding companies under that, and which is where the Vatican's money was going to go, of course. 
uh, Marcinkus became president of the Vatican Bank and also sat on the board of the Bahamas subsidiary of the Banco Ambrosiano. Things went along pretty well for a while. Roberto Calvi brought in some good profits for the church. Went out, made everybody was happy. Uh, but then uh, Michel Sindona, you remember him? No. He was their previous banker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Short he's, little memory. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he decided to stir up a little trouble. Apparently, he was, he was feeling kind of kind of upset about being cut out of uh, cut out of the Vatican's business. Fair. Well, there's probably yeah. he probably lost a fair amount of money. Yeah, yeah. To he, be fair. Uh, yeah, uh, he demanded ten million bucks from Calvi, and Calvi basically said no. Told him to go pound sand, and so yeah, so he got his revenge. Uh, he uh, on November thirteenth, nineteen seventy-seven, posters were plastered on buildings all around the Banco Ambrosiano, which included numbers of secret Swiss accounts that had been used for the deal, whereby the Vatican netted that extra stock that put them in basically in control of Banco Ambrosiano. And there was a lot of other stuff on these posters also. Uh, he also uh, he also sent a letter to the Bank of Italy with details of these transactions. Uh, and the Bank of Italy, by the way, was not a private bank. It was a, Italy's central bank, kind of like our Federal Reserve, sort of, kind of okay. like, in a way. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, was, what's our equivalent? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they started an investigation into this. Um, and Which is not a good thing not, when you're a bank. Not a good thing when you're a bank, now. A guy named Mario Sarsinelli uh, of the Bank of Italy was the guy who was put in charge of looking into Banco Ambrosiano's finances. One day, the police arrived at uh, the bank's headquarters and arrested him. Oh. And yeah, he was he was uh, taken away and locked up in prison for ten days. Uh, and then, at, the, at at which point, he was released on the condition that he leave his job at the Bank of Italy. And that pretty much was done, was it for the investigation hmm. of well, Banco I... Ambrosiano. Wait a second. Yeah. So the major, the the major central bank gets uh-huh. the police involved. They arrest him. They put him in jail for ten days. Find out who knows what, if anything, and then just says, "Quit your job," and it's all good. Yeah, quit your job, and we'll, we'll let you go. Yeah. That something <laughs> smells fishy in that. I was gonna say that's conspiracy theory fodder. Uh-huh. Yeah. Up the wazoo. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if you if you look at this whole mystery, it's obvious that I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff like this going on. There's a there's another one I'm gonna talk about here in just a minute. Actually, I'll talk about it now. Uh, or speaking of Sindona, well, some of his banks had failed and they were being liquidated. And a liquid, a guy who was placed in charge of liquidating them was named Mario Ambrosoli, and he found evidence in Sindona, in Sindona's records that documented a possibly illegal transfer of six and a half million dollars to quote an American bishop and a Milanese banker. Hmm. Yeah, and that would be who guess who? Paul Marcinkus from the Vatican and Roberto Calvi, hmm. right? Sounds and, about right. Yeah, and the six point five million was part of the deal that netted the Vatican that extra chunk of Banco Ambrosiano stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, word leaked out to the press, uh, and Mario Ambrosoli's investigation didn't go very far because he was shot dead in front of his house uh, not long after that point. Um, so yeah, another body. <laughs> Wasn't he and also a police investigator? Uh, or a reporter, I can't remember which one, or another. So he and somebody else both got shot at the same time, and turned out they were contracted. Isn't that right? Mm, I'm not Does sure. Does this sound familiar to you? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, because I am pretty sure that I remember that one of the things that, uh, is it Sindona? Is that yeah, how you say it? Sindona. I think that, and I might be getting this wrong, but I think one of the things that got him put away was contracting those two killings. Mm-hmm. Because he was trying to hide what was going on. Mm, could very well be, yeah. 
but uh, apparently it worked. Although eventually the law caught up with Sindona. Yeah, he got uh, the the U.S. feds busted him, didn't they? Yeah, he got in trouble in America and wound up going to prison in America for a while. Uh, yeah, Sindona, um, uh, he, he did, as you say, go to prison in the U.S., and he was later extradited to Italy, where he did a little time in prison. Hmm. And uh, in 1986, he was in prison in Rome, and he drank some coffee that turned out to have some uh, cyanide in it. Oops. Yeah, I know. Whoopsies. Uh, yeah, Never leave the creamer out too yeah. long. See no. what happens? I know. Yet another dead body. Uh, the death was ruled a suicide. That seems wrong. <laughs> yeah, that seems suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if if they can get barbiturates in prison, why can't they get cyanide? Yeah, but, absolutely. Mm, okay. It's, yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me either way. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. So, let's see. I don't think we're going to have another dead body for a little bit here. So, yeah. If you if you want to take a break and go to the bathroom, feel free. Now's the time. Yeah, now's the time. <laughs> the pause button is not a thing. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more we can talk about about the whole all the financial but dealings. But so, maybe let's not. Yeah, yeah, let's not. It's really confusing. It would take a long time. I, I think Byzantine would be describing this lightly. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I kind of yeah. want to go into it. Yeah. No. I really <laughs> dig these things. No. Okay, three hours later. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, and it's not even about the unsolved part of this mystery. Yeah. That's, no, it's, it's just all, all the crazy inside deals and mm-hmm. loopholes and oh, yeah. weirdness. Yeah. And, of course, there's a lot of it we don't know. A lot of stuff going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Uh, besides the missing funds, uh, there have also been claims that um, Calvi was laundering funds for the mafia and mm. perhaps even running investments for them. Uh, there are also theories out there about a secret Masonic lodge called Propaganda Due. Is that Due in Italian? Due, yep. Basically Propaganda Due. Mm-hmm. Propaganda Due, yeah. also known as P2. Um, he did have dealings with P2, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later. There have been claims that uh, the founder or the, the leader of Propaganda 2 had was part of the conspiracy to murder Calvi. Mm. Don't know about the evidence for that. Mm. Um, there's also some evidence that Calvi was involved in funneling money from the Vatican to Solidarity in Poland, believe it or not. And Solidarity was a political movement? Or? They were, yeah, they were a, a, a labor union. Oh, that's right. It was a union. A, a, yeah, a labor union that became a political movement. The first labor union that wasn't controlled by a communist government. Yeah, and they, uh, yeah, and they, they managed to actually overturn... You know, that's yeah, because they yeah. had, I think, in their first year, they went from nobody to 10 million members or something wow. insanely like huge that. from start date to just before their anniversary date, mm-hmm. yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's quite an amazing story, but that's not a mystery, so we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. 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 So, okay, now that we've talked all about uh, all about his financial dealings with the Vatican and, and One elsewhere. would assume that he had a life insurance policy, right? He did. He did. I can quite, uh, that's a quite good guess. He had a policy worth about $10 million bucks. Oh, US. my gosh. Yeah, I know. But, of course, the insurance company, because... Well, he it was he, a suicide. It was a suicide. Mm. They wouldn't pay, and then it was later ruled maybe a suicide. They still wouldn't pay because hey, mm. we don't know, huh? And so, uh, yeah, it, they probably claimed like having a life is a pre-existing condition. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Being alive is a pre-existing condition. So when you die, like that's, there's nothing we could do about it. I you know. were going to die anyway. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, guys. So we'll just have to keep them premiums. Uh, but Calvi's wife and his son Carlo hired a private detective agency called Kroll Associates to investigate the case. And uh, actually, there was a, a guy named Jeffrey Katz who headed the investigation, and he wrote an interesting article about it in the Telegraph uh, of London some years, some, in the early 2000s. I don't know if you saw that article or not. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, good article, but uh, well worth reading. 
they decided that they were, they were going through all kinds of records and everything, but they decided also to recreate the suicide. So they tracked down the contracting company that originally put up the scaffolding and did the work on the bridge, and uh, they still had the scaffolding, the very same scaffolding as before. You, just don't, so, you don't just throw that stuff away. Oh, no, it lasts it's, forever. It's expensive, yeah. They st- uh, so uh, they graciously loaned it to uh, Jeffrey Katz and his, and his team, and they set it up underneath the bridge, just like it had been set up in 1982. And this, by the way, was in 1991 when, this, uh, when they hired this, uh, when, when they finally did the recreation. Sure. Uh, Calvi's shoes were custom-made, and he had them made several pairs at a time, of course. As he would. Yeah. yeah, as he would. So his wife still had a few extra pairs of these exact same shoes laying around, so she gave them the cats. They hired a stunt man who was about his height and, and size and weight. Calvi's, <clears throat> not cats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was about his height and, and his weight. Mm-hmm. He put on a suit and tie and put on Calvi's shoes mm-hmm. and climbed out over the scaffolding just like Calvi would have done. Did they uh, did they stuff a bunch of masonry in his, into his, into his pants? pants <laughs> you know, I, I don't know about that. For safety reasons, probably not. Yeah. It I seems mean, like it's important, though. Well, the way it would be, the way it would be kind of important. I mean, it, it might. He didn't mention what they did there. They might have added some extra weight. I mean, you, there's ways that you, without doing something as cumbersome as bricks. or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's other ways to add weight besides that. Or you can just pick a stuntman who you know, weighs a bit more. Uh, anyway, uh, after, after this guy went out there, and he actually walked out all, all kinds of different paths, pathways on the, on the scaffolding because mm. Calvi obviously could have taken different path, pathways. Sure. And uh, then they took the shoes, and they immersed him in water for a while, whatever. So if he went into the water at almost 2... 2 a.m., and then he was found at 7.30 a.m., but then, of course, it took a while for the, the London River Police to get there and cut the body down. So Probably eight hours-ish? Probably a good eight hours, yeah, yeah, a good eight hours in the water. And so uh, they immersed the, the shoes in water for a similar period of time, then removed them, dried them out, uh, and, and then put them under a microscope, and what they found is specks of rust and paint from the scaffolding. Did they... Okay, but I guess here's my next question. Was it moving water that they immersed it in, or was it mm-hmm. s- standing standing water? Yeah. Because uh, it w- if it were standing water, it would make more sense that the flex would be left on. But if it was running water, mm-hmm. you know, running rushing past, I would think it would be less likely. Um, question? I don't, I'm not sure how swiftly the, the Thames moves. Um, but even does a little move. moving friction. Yeah, it does move. You know. Yeah, that, no, that's true. I, I don't know if they immersed it in, in any sort of floor, you know, probably just dead water. But well, something I forgot to mention is that after they dried the shoes off, they took a wire brush to the soles and actually brushed them off pretty good. Oh. So, okay. you know. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, I'm saying all this staunchly believing that he didn't kill himself anyway. Yeah, so well, it's no. not. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, the other thing that we could po- ask is, and it, it doesn't matter because I also don't believe that he did it, no, is, no. okay, well, if the stuntman has taken different paths, was he putting on a different pair of shoes every time? Because mm-hmm. yeah. the same pair of shoes walking a path five times are mm-hmm. going to show much more than a pair of shoes that only does it once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's true enough. But, uh, but I, it's, I, I there's going to think... be other... So it's not like... Cal- what's his name? Cal- Calvi. Calvi. Thank you. Put on a brand new pair of shoes to go kill himself. Mm-hmm. No, but what you I mean know? is that if the stuntman takes Route 1, sees how that works. No, I hear what you're two. saying. I'm, I'm just yeah, saying I'm, that there see, would have been other stuff on yeah, there, too. Yeah, not, there would have been rocks and dirt and yeah. asphalt and the whole nine yards. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure if when they did this, if they had them go out one way, and then they, and then they, they immersed the shoes, and then they dried them out. 
and looked at him, and then they had him go out another way. That would have taken forever to do that. But, uh, but, but yeah, even the uh, fact that they found any, even after a wire brushing, that's yeah, they, good they, they found they found rust and paint flecks, and of course the police still had uh, still had the original shoes in their possession, mm-hmm. and they had a look at those, and they found nothing. Oh, they found no rust, no nothing. paint. Hmm. Yeah. So how did he get there then? So how did he get to onto the scaffolding? Well, how did he get to where he died? How did he get to where he died? Yes. Uh, well, over the Thames. Mm-hmm. Over if he Thames. didn't go over the scaffolding in the bridge, then... Well, uh, the, the, the popular thinking is that he was brought there by a boat. Right, because the tide was out. The tide was kind of in. When they found him. Oh, no, the tide was not quite... The tide was not high tide when he went in. The mm-hmm. tide was yeah, pretty close to low when they found him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. But it was much higher when he would have gone in. Yeah, it was higher when he would have gone in, yes. So it could have been... Yeah, it'd it be pretty easy to bring him throw in. a rope over a piece of scaffolding. Yeah, from a boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. So he was uh, probably brought to that point on a boat. He was probably already dead. Strangled him on the boat, or maybe before he got even got on the boat. I was almost thinking of uh, you. Did either of you guys watch Deadwood? Yeah. Do you remember the uh, the pilot episode where he throws a rope over? the walkway and the guy's just standing there and he just hoists him up but then throws his own body weight on him and pulls him down to to do the deed that way mm-hmm. oh, i could almost right. see that you know let the current drag the boat and just hold him in place that's going to cause the constriction that you need to cut off an airway mm-hmm. and but yeah. it's not gonna it's not so sharp that it's gonna break his neck correct okay it's, well, if the thames is at high it's still a slow moving river so you're just it, you're just pulling against it I mean, if you've ever been in a little boat and just hung onto a tree branch and it's a gently moving river, and you're like, well, this actually is kind of pulling me a lot harder than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. I could see that if all that was focused on with a rope. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is conjecture, I know, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. So, uh, so uh, yeah, anyway, but that's what everybody thinks is it was the whole thing about he was either strangled on the, on the spot or somewhere else. Nobody really knows. I guess we never will. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about propaganda, too. And how they got involved with this whole thing. The guy in charge of that was Licio Gelli. And uh, it's been claimed that P2 is kind of a state within a state. It was a Masonic lodge that had a thousand members, or nearly a thousand members, who were all very high powered people in Italian society. And uh, so obviously it was the thing to belong to. I'm kind of suspecting that Gelli was actually just a huge fraud. And How so? Well, because I read claimed, I read the stuff about him, so I'm trying to see what it is that that's leading you to think that. Well, um, uh, the Italian Parliament actually set up a commission to investigate P2, and they looked at a lot of Gali's records and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he had records of, like I said, nearly a thousand people who were uh, members of Parliament, magistrates, generals in the in the service, uh, the heads of intelligence services. All over. Regulars, high, high leading businessmen, all kinds of people, high-powered people. Uh, and it was this commission that called P2 a state within a state, at least based on Gilles' files. But the thing about it is, is a lot of the people that were named in the files denied being members of, of P2. P2 didn't act like a, an ordinary Masonic lodge. That is, they didn't have meetings so all the members could get to know each other. In fact, most of the members had no idea who any of the other members were. And only Galeen knew, knew, knew that. So they really weren't this sort of secret society, apparently. Mm. Uh, and so it's really hard to say if it, if it really was real or if it was just a con game. But 
Well, and he, he had some weird things going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw some of the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. the stuff he wrote about wanting to, to change the way the government was run and throw over mm-hmm. everybody that was in power. And mm-hmm. I mean, he really, I would almost say it bordered a bit on uh, megalomania. Mm-hmm. I would say, yeah. But the important thing about P2 is, uh, is that as long as enough people believed all this stuff, then it was, it was a great thing for Gali because he could make lots of money by acting as a go-between. Uh, and, and, and sometimes he probably his services probably actually did come in useful. Mm. Uh, so back to Roberto Calvi. Um, as I mentioned, he was arrested in 1981. He felt at the time that uh, he had spent two months in prison, of course. And he felt at the time that there was really kind of this class war against bankers going on in Italy. And so he wanted to buy himself a little, a little bit of protection. Uh, and so he went to Licio Gli, and who was in charge of P2. So Gli told uh, Calvi in order to help him, he needed to bribe a bunch of high-ranking Italian uh, Italian parliament members. And, of course he did. Said, of course, yeah. So he told him to transfer $21 million to a South American bank, and he was going to funnel that money back to intermediaries and to Italian politicians who would in turn hopefully intervene with bank regulators. Mm. Yeah, and there was also a series of loans that Banco Ambrosiano, uh, or their Luxembourg subsidiary, I should say, made to a Panamanian shell company that was also owned by Gali. And I'm not going to get into all the shady financial movers that they, that they, that they pulled, but Gali was basically able to pocket over $100 million of, that, of those loans. And so huge transfers of cash to him. And, but in return, he didn't really provide him, provide Calvi with any protection. He didn't call, he was not able to call off the dogs or anything else, which is why I think it might have just, the whole P2 thing might have just been a big swindle. He just basically yeah. suckered him. He are swindled you, him. You, are either of you watching this season of True Detective? No, not yet. I'm waiting till it's done. Spoilers. This is uh, very familiar. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe they lifted it from this. Mm, yeah. Are you guys confused? Or is this all making sense? No, this sense? is good. This is good? It's yeah, sense? yeah, it's clarified yeah. a lot. I want to hear yeah. about w- what happened. Like, who could have done this? Yeah, who or done did it? he do it himself? I'm was theory. it suicide? Well, what talk- I'm saying is, I'm ready for theories. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let's, let's talk about theories then. I'm, I've got a whole bunch of other stuff to. Well, we'll just skip that and go straight to theories. Oh, okay. Okay, all right. Page one, two, yeah, three, yeah. four. Yeah, Sweet. Okay. Yeah, Great. okay. Yeah. All right, theory number one it was suicide. Nope. Yeah, yeah we, we kind of all said no to that. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, theory number two, it was murder, but why? You guys think it was murder? Mm, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm so, not going to say who, but I, I think it was murder. This is, that we're, in, we're in Devon territory here. Yeah. The two headings. It was suicide? No. Yeah. It was murder. <laughs> yeah. Subheading. Well, yeah. I it know. was murder because. Oh my gosh, it is a bullet list. See? I know. I'm, it's catching on. So uh, the question is then, then why? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, Calvi was laundering money for the mafia and possibly investing some of their money, and he lost a bunch of their money. So they offed him. So they offed him. Makes sense. That's a theory. Slept with the fishes. Yep. Uh, there were uh, there were some mob type people who were involved who were big time suspects in in his murder. What what is it that uh, what's the name of the the mob in Italy? Yeah, the Cosa Nostra. Yes, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Because they they're pretty notorious for. Making people disappear. Yeah, or maybe in this case, you know, I mean, I, I, that's the thing is, if it, if the mob had done it, you would think they would have just like killed him and you know, uh, maybe weighted his body down and dumped it in the Thames instead of very publicly hanging it like that. But then uh, again, maybe but, they wanted to send a message. Yeah, I was gonna say, but it it's a pretty strong message. If uh-huh. That's what they're wanting. Yeah, 
Uh, so our next theory as to why would be Propaganda 2 and, and Mr. Glee. The motive I'm not so sure about, but uh, I, I'm kind of thinking that Calvi gave Glee a lot of money, a hell of a lot of money, and basically got nothing in return. Mm-hmm. So getting rid of Calvi really would have been a good way to stop him from asking for a refund or suing him for fraud. But I've also read, isn't it, uh, wasn't it P2 that the members would call themselves Black Friars, mm. and so the fact that he was hung from Blackfriar Bridge, mm-hmm. people have drawn that connection that, to make it P two because there's that one to one naming thing. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I I don't I, see anything other than that as a correlation based on what we I've read in the research. That seems you've yeah, talked about so. I, I have heard of that same connection. I don't. I don't know. I, I, was, I don't know um, what brought Calvi to London. If he was manipulated into going to London by, say, uh, Flavio Carboni, Carboni mm-hmm. who uh, apparently had connections to P two, mm. possibly had connections. There's rumored to have connections. So if, if if Carboni, for example, suggested going to London, it could have been specifically for the purpose of taking him to Blackfriars Bridge and hanging him from the bridge. Mm. And it get, seems get, it just seems like they it just it seems like you're overcomplicating your your whack job. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. they put him on a boat and they put him into U- Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of rule. I mean, even in the '80s, the, you know, communism was still in effect, but you know, you could kind of do what you wanted in those countries, mm-hmm. and it seems like an easy place to whack somebody. They put yeah. him on a boat, just push him overboard. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, know. Right? I mean, if you're going to just kill somebody, uh-huh, why go through all of the channels to... That's, I mean, it's... I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things we run into with these whole secret society conspiracy theory things all the time, where it's like, well, they had, they had to do it this way because it's this way, and it's like, well, but no, they probably didn't. I mean, if if the evil wants- bad yeah. guy had to confront him face to face and tell him he was going to die after he admitted he had done him wrong. It's just like the the James Bond thing, right? Where they're like, well, we're going to have this laser that moves super slowly and I'm going to leave the room before <laughs> yeah, you've exactly. actually died. Uh, Nobody actually does that. Uh, that no. doesn't happen. Uh, you got you to gotta love that. Though. Nobody explains yeah. their entire master plan and then shoots. Mm. They just shoot. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I- but, uh, anyway, I think yeah. that's silly. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a little silly, too. Also, you can't exactly sue for fraud if you were like, hey, here's a bunch of money. And do something go, do something sketchy with go it. Go bribe and, and, a bunch of people. Yeah, exactly. So that, But you defrauded me. You didn't actually bribe those people. Like, mm-hmm. you obeyed the law. You just took my money because I'm a jerk. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Well, it could have also, it, you know, he could have also done it as a way to, to shut up, shut Calvi up. That, that seems to be the the overriding thing here is shutting Calvi up because he knew a lot. He knew a lot of sensitive information. Well, yeah, he yeah. was he was involved in a lot of suspicious dealings. I'll call them suspicious. Mm-hmm. And I have read a lot that people were worried that he was threatening to talk and mm-hmm. basically, you know, pull everything out from underneath the rug and expose everything. Yeah, because and so somebody did him in to protect that information. Yeah, because whether it be uh, yeah. you know Jelly or Gelly or the Vatican or the the uh, Cosa Nostra. I mean, somebody did it for that reason. Most likely. Uh, our next one, and um, a lot of people have accused the Vatican of arranging for his murder. I can see that. Yeah. 
because obviously he knew a lot of their business. He'd made some he had made some threats uh, about exposing his dealings with the bad with the Vatican Bank to Paul Marcinkus, and so that's why that's why some people are thinking things along this, these lines. Is it that seems they, like the if you were in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. for something money related and you said to the investigators, okay, I know you think I'm a big fish, but I can give you the Vatican. Uh-huh. <laughs> that'd be a pretty yeah. good plea bargain or deal or whatever that you would make. Mm-hmm. And I can see being really scared of that as the Vatican saying mm-hmm. he knows and can prove all of the kind of shady stuff we've been doing mm-hmm. to make a ton of money, yeah. to make a bunch of money. He can expose yeah. us and he's in the position in which he would try to expose us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Better take care of that. Yeah. That uh, makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, so yeah. You Not call to it. paint the Vatican as the bad guy. But... Oh, no, no, no. But, uh, you know, there's, you know, in the, in the church, obviously there's occasionally going to be the bad apple, a bad apple or two. You know, it happens. Well, there's, there's been quite a few of them that have been involved in their financial matters. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. what it is about being involved in the Vatican and suddenly you're put in charge of large amounts of funds and every one of them just goes hog wild and ignores every rule around. It's like, I've got to make the money. Yeah. It really is. It's crazy. Yeah, the church actually has been hard up in the, in the past. They've been pretty hard up for cash. And they are, I think they're, hard, they're probably hard up for cash now, actually. Uh, well, the good news yeah. is the person in charge of that church right now seems to want to do the right thing with the money. So mm-hmm. we will see how that all pans out. No longer wearing Versace red slippers. Mm-hmm. Well, good for him. But, sorry. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No. At the, well, <laughs> at the end of the day, the people who were aware of all these all these various dealings were Carlo Canisi, was the original head of the bank. Uh, he, he died. He had died quite a while before this. And then Roberto Calvi, who succeeded him in the bank, and then Calvi's secretary, who was Graziella Carocher, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Uh, she's the assistant who jumped or fell or was pushed to her death the day the bank failed. Oh, from the fifth story, right. Yeah, those are the three people that really would have known everything about the goings-on with the Vatican Bank and all of their all their phony offshore companies and stuff. Hang and on a all second. Dead. Hang on a second. You talked about earlier that the secretary had seen him in his office taking a whole bunch of papers. And putting him in a black briefcase. Yeah, yeah. where was that? Did they find that, it ever? That t- totally disappeared from the story. What happened it with dis- the black briefcase? It disappeared. You know, it's interesting. His luggage was, he had a couple of suitcases, which were found in his hotel room, but the black briefcase was gone. And never to be seen again? Well, it sort of pops up a little bit later. Oh, what? Oh. Yeah. Okay, let's get there. Yeah. Wait, what's later? Yeah. Are we not? Yeah. Well, and last year, he just got killed for money, pure and simple. But he had a lot of money on him. Mm-hmm. But he had a whole lot more money in other places. But why wouldn't you take the money that was on him, too? That would kind of make sense, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but... I, I'm not going to go club a guy and then steal his offshore account and leave the million dollars that's in his pocket. Mm-hmm. No, I, I probably Especially when I way around. go spend that now yeah I mean, it's that, cash i know that's, there's that's... literally nothing i have to do to take that money except for take it out of his pockets mm-hmm. yeah never thought know. about this let's continue yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh well let's let's talk about some of the people who were who have been accused rather suspicious of course there's flavio Car- carboni mm-hmm. the guy who facilitated his assist escape from italy uh, next was a mafia boss named pippo Keo, i think is how that's pronounced who was who was actually tried for ordering calvi's murder um, and also Flavio Carboni is said to have been involved in money laundering for Pippo Cal, Pippo Calo. Cal, Pippo Calo, you're right. Excuse me. I'm, 
You just reading. make it sound Italian. I don't yeah. know what you Pippo want. Carlo. Pippo Carlo. Pippo Carlo. An informant also said that Flavio Carboni uh, was an essential link between Carlo and the P2 Lodge. But mm. uh, there's those P2 people again. Uh, in 1991, a mafioso turned in former named Fran- Francesco Manoia, I think that's how it's pronounced, uh, pointed the finger once again at Pippo Calo, but also at Licio Galli, the head of P2, and claiming they had ordered Calvi's murder. I, don't, mm. I have no idea what his uh, evidence was, that, was for that. Uh, in 1997, Italian prosecutors, and by the way, not by, the, by this time, everybody's on the same page. It was murder. It was murder. Right. Yeah, mm. no, no did one... the insurance company finally pay out? Yeah, they finally did. Okay, great. They finally did. Unfortunately, I don't know why I was concerned about that. <laughs> unfortunately for the family, they had, to, they had to pay out about half of that to the investigators that they had hired because the investigators had spent tremendous resources, you know, not just recreating the murder, but, but traveling the world. Mm. and Tracking and down paperwork. Tracking down and documents and, and witnesses. You know, yeah. traveling for business to Panama and the Bahamas. Yeah. It was yeah. really tough. Yeah, so they, they so their, their tab came to a fairly large amount mm. of money. Uh, but in, in 1997, Italian prosecutors charged Calo and also Flavio Carboni uh, alongside some guys named Ernesto Diotalevi. Diotalevi and uh, Francesco Di Carlo. There was a very, very long trial, which basically was the, at the end. They decided there was insufficient evidence to lock mm, anybody up over this stuff. This, yeah, there was more than one trial like that. In yeah, this no, there were, there were, yeah, there were other ones, but uh, uh, eventually Francesco Di Carlo, who apparently was a hitman at one point, uh, he turned informant. And he did say that Kalo, people Kalo, had in, approached him about murdering Calvi, but that he hadn't carried it out. Uh, supposedly, Kalo had gotten word to a, a, a third party to DiCarlo that he needed to have somebody whacked. And by the time DiCarlo actually got in touch with Kalo, because remember this is 82, they put, people, nobody has cell phones. It's yeah. not, not as easy to get a hold you of You get people. back to your office, the secretary hands you the message. Yeah, yeah. So by the you time yeah, by the time he got back in touch with Kalo, which was like a couple of days later, Kalo told him the problem had already been taken care of. So, um, But on the other hand, uh, British investigators did find a $100,000 deposit made to DiCarlo's bank account on June 16th, the day before the murder. So, hmm. Hmm. And also, Francesco Di Carlo did have the nickname of Frankie the Strangler. Oh, you're kidding did. me. Of course he did. <laughs> that, was his, that was his oh. nickname. Yeah, that was his okay. nickname. Okay, so what? Uh, where else can we go from there? I mean, yeah. so obviously he did it. No? Yeah, what's that? Uh, no, it's not, it's not totally obvious. I think that's, that's a good possibility. Mm-hmm. He was living in London at the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, and obviously, you know, he he would have an incentive to lie and say something in the order of, yeah, yeah, you asked me to do it, but I didn't do it, you know. And there was that hundred that hundred thousand dollar bank deposit. Hmm. It was a down payment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another trial happened. Uh, began in ni- two thousand seven. It was uh, the prosecutors had announced that they thought the mafia had assassinated Calvi to stop him blackmailing a number of senior political figures mm. linked to the PT Lodge, as well as the Vatican Bank. Because there were, were there were hints that he was he was actually going to blackmail them. He had right, those we hints to talked Pantico. about he'd been threatening to squeal. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that trial, it, which as I, as I said, began in 2007. Uh, it was it was from Flavio Carboni, uh, Dio Talivi, and, uh, and this time Calvi's bodyguard, 
uh, Silvano Vitor was mm. included. Um, they, they, of course, all denied being involved, and eventually they got off again because of not enough evidence. And that was that. I don't know. And I don't know if there's going to be any more trials at this point or not. If people involved with this whole case are getting kind of old. And so it it's seems... it's extremely difficult to run down uh, any witnesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 40 years later, 30 years later. I mean, uh-huh. it's just. Yeah. 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 It's I, of a fool's errand. Yeah. I, I don't think, we're, you know, I don't think we're ever going to know who actually did, who actually carried out the actual murder. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that Flavio Carboni had a part in it. I don't know that he actually committed the, the murder itself. I think he would have to. Yeah. 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 Because uh, Roberto Calvi was totally dependent on Carboni. To, mm-hmm. to make all of his arrangements and, and to keep him hidden in London and various other places. Uh, and obviously Carboni had access to him, and, and he's the only person who knew his whereabouts besides his Vitor, the bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Carboni, because Calvi trusted him, could easily have gotten him to come with them for some pretext, like say, I'd, I'd mentioned that he had said that he was, he'd found a flat for him to move into, yeah. but that was actually not true. Mm-hmm. He had not found him a flat. So, say, if you called him up and said, hey, pack your bags, we're going to move to a new flat and get you some nicer accommodations, then Calvi would have gone with him. And, um, so I'm guessing, under, I'm guessing under that, what you just said there is that the idea was, we're going to go look at the flat, not let's move to the flat, because his yeah, bags were all still at the hotel. Yeah. yeah, but his bags were packed. He told him to pack his bags because he he'd found a flat to move to. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and so... You know, Carboni, and so uh, Calvi would have just gone with him for whatever reason, and he could have just delivered him to the hitman, who would have taken care of all the rest. Or he could have been the hitman. Yeah, or maybe he was. You know, I don't know that he has a record for that kind of thing or sure. not. But what, his motive would have been money, because remember, Calvi had given him a whole bunch of money, and he, it wasn't actually, it was just expense money. It wasn't actually a gift. It was just to cover expenses. So if he spent less, he had to give it back? Yeah, so if, if yeah, if he hadn't spent it all, then he, he would he would probably have had to give most or all of it back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure he would have gotten a tip for his help, his services. But yeah, so you know, eleven million bucks is a pretty good that's a lot uh, of money. Yeah, that's a pretty Especially good motive. Forty years ago. Yeah, another suspicious thing is that both Carboni and Vitter left England very early on the morning of the 18th. So. The body was found on the morning oh, of the 17th. 18th. At the 18th. So, so they, they bounced at the same time, if not before the body was found. Yeah. 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 Seems suspicious. You smell a rat. That seems a little suspicious. Yeah. Uh, and last of all, the black briefcase makes its reappearance. Um, oh. Yeah. He seems to have wound up in possession of the black briefcase. Who Carboni, did? Flavio Carboni. Oh, my goodness. He appears to have... Um, and a tie. This is a, a, a guy named Edward J. Epstein wrote uh, wrote a long article about this. And he's a, he's an investigative reporter. He used to work for Vanity Fair magazine. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And he's written a number of books and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, and he did a long article about this. And he talked to an investigating magistrate in Italy named Judge Almerighi. I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, this judge was was looking into the Calvi affair, and he told Epstein uh, that the Vatican had acknowledged to him that they had given Carboni $2 million for certain documents. Uh, And uh, he had apparently come across evidence that the Vatican was considering paying him an additional $40 million presumably for the rest of the contents of that black briefcase. Well, so it and, wouldn't you wouldn't even have to have murdered him for money if, you know, he said, "Oh, I have this briefcase." Mhm. 
That's worth a lot of money. That is so worth a lot of money. So I guess it's definitely murdering for money. Sorry. What, when, yeah, did, when did the Vatican pay him to, mm-hmm. for uh, the documents? Yeah, that I am not sure of. We don't know when yeah, that yeah, happened there was no, yeah, Epstein didn't give any dates as to precisely the, the judge. Either the judge didn't tell him exactly when it was. Or just or didn't he, know. Maybe just didn't know. You would, one would assume you would wait a little bit. Yeah. You wouldn't immediately, like two days later, yeah. show up with these documents. Well, yeah. So did, did Flavio Carboni blackmail the Pope? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like. <laughs> so, uh, you guys have any further thoughts? Any more theories? No. Yeah. I, he was definitely murdered. Yeah. Carboni I, probably had definitely. a hand in it. Yeah. Whether or not it was, you know, he happened to find these documents afterwards or it was motivated by uh, them, I think. Yeah. He I, definitely had a hand in it if he didn't do it himself. Yeah, I think so. And his, his bodyguard mm, probably at least knew something. Mm. Um, yeah, of course he would. There, there just seems to be a whole lot of people involved with this thing, this whole thing that could have a little blood on their hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing that I I know that there's so much evidence pointing to certain people just because they're so involved in it. Mm-hmm. The one thing I couldn't help but wonder the whole time I was going through this is the unknown third party, and that is somebody who is investing heavily in banking and of course his bank is going under seeing him and recognizing him because well joe knows and i think you know Devin, his uh, his great disguise to travel abroad he shaved his mustache he shaved his mustache yeah. yeah so yeah not not really disguising himself much although yeah. i will tell you i have a friend who uh just today i've only ever known him with a beard and he shaved it all off. And I literally didn't. I see him every day. I work with him. A beard is much different, even though. Re- it was his upper lip. I didn't. Suddenly, I didn't I, recognize him. I thought he looked a lot different without the mustache. Yeah. I see. I, Although, I the really only didn't. picture of him that I saw without the mustache was the one where he was dead and laying on the sidewalk yeah. next to the bridge. He's but, probably going to wear the same kind of clothes. He's going to act and speak the same way. So, I, I always just wonder if it's somebody happens to go, wait a minute. That's that that jerk that lost me all that money. Mm-hmm. We're going to go find him and we're going to talk to him and then something happens. I mean, yeah. do I think that's it? Eh, probably I not, it. but I, I, I still it. can't help but wonder. He was keeping a pretty low profile. <sighs> yeah, I think that the, the odds that uh, some random dude just ran across him, you know, I, I think it's more likely that probably the people surrounding him just killed him yeah. <laughs> or arranged for him to be killed. I agree. Or yeah. got paid to or let him. Or got bribed. Yeah, so, yeah, I would say a bribe to accidentally look the other way while he was walking down the street. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's unfortunate for Roberto Calvi, you know. Um, I don't know that he was a bad guy at all, but he got kind of involved with uh, the wrong kind of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure everything well, kind of went south. That's what happens and, to a lot of those guys, though, is that they want to make a couple of extra bucks, so they'll just shine on the uh, fact that you do all these other things, and then mm-hmm. it comes back to bite him in the end. Yep. yep. So sad. Yeah. Well, anyway, any other thoughts? No. Nope. Well, heck, let's just wind this down then. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure you, all of you out there have got thoughts about this. In fact, maybe some of you are mafiosa and you'd like to actually, you know, clue us in on some of the <laughs> some of the actual stuff Possible. that happened. If that is the case, you can send us an email at thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, we also have a website, of course, uh, where you can download our episodes. You can also leave comments, and, and we all have links to uh, various articles that you can read about the mystery. Uh, our website is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. 
And, of course, you can also find us on iTunes. If you do get us from iTunes, please uh, subscribe and leave us a review, hopefully a nice review. We're right? moving up the charts lately in iTunes. Yep. Yeah, we are. Leaps and bounds. kind of nice. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, <laughs> what else? You, if, you, if you're streaming us, well, you can stream us from practically anywhere. I don't, you know, I can't recommend any particular one over another, so... Just grab one at random. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Thinking Sideways Podcast on Facebook. So please like us, follow us, friend us. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us, what we are thinking sideways, without the G. So thinking. And that's about it, except, for, of course, for Patreon. Uh, we're, we're on Patreon now. If you want to sponsor us, you can. You don't have to. No obligation at all. But that's Patreon.com. I think it's the forward slash Thinking Sideways. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that's about it for this week. Yeah. Any further thoughts? No. No? All right. Well, goodbye, everybody. Ciao. Hang in there, guys. Beep.